My guest this week is Brenda Bailey-Hughes, who is a professor at the Kelly School of Business in Bloomington in Indiana. And Brenda works with corporate executives and leaders specifically in the area of communication and leadership skills. She also works with undergraduates and MBA students. What's interesting is she also has a business, which is team performance. She's the co-owner of that business, which is focusing on communication and leadership consulting. And it's the journey that she was on to get from working in corporate to working as a lecturer in academia that's really interesting, and the kind of work that she does with her clients. And with that in mind, Brenda today is going to give us three tips, uh, what fundamentals of communication are, how to assume and communicate positive intent, and ways to neutralize negative emotions. And this is, of course, very important to you when you're running your own business. This is the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hey, welcome to the Training Business Podcast. This is the weekly show for self-employed consultants, trainers, coaches, facilitators. If you're someone who is interested in how you make money through your programs, your workshops, your courses, your books, your keynotes, perhaps you've got all of those things or none of those things, then this is the show for you. And it's really aimed at people like you and me because... We're people who work converting what we know, our experience, our expertise into products and services that people buy. Maybe you've got your own expert business, or maybe you're thinking of leaving your job to start it. Wherever you are on that journey, this is the show for you. My name is Mark. I'm a self-employed trainer and coach and a published author. I've been employed, unemployed, and self-employed, and I've learned the hard way things that work and which things don't work and how to fix them. And what I do with great pleasure is to bring you every single week an episode where I talk to people who've been in that position, working perhaps in a job and have converted what they know into keynotes or programs, and they sell their time, their expertise as consultants, trainers, coaches, and so on. And that's really what the show's about. If you've got questions, please drop me a line, mark at trainingbusiness.com. There is an episode every Thursday of the show. Costs you absolutely nothing. So I'd love you to click on follow or subscribe right now to be notified of great episodes, which will help your business wherever you are in this journey. Costs nothing and, of course, means the world to me and the team, Joe, Sam, Turrell, and James. Brenda, hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. So good to be here. You're currently, among other things, uh, a, a teaching professor at the Kelly School of Business. Um, you've worked with a range of clients, some pretty impressive names, in fact, including Procter & Gamble, uh, Carlyle Inc., One America, etc. Um, and you work with MBA students and, of course, corporate clients. And your area, if I'm correct, is on communication and leadership skills. Um, Perhaps in your own words, um, tell me how you, what you currently do and how you got to where you are today. Sure. So I started as an HR consultant right out of school, pretty much, and worked in training and development, did a lot of team mediation, and worked with this wonderful woman named Tatiana Kolovu. At some point, the team mediations were um, 
non-grievance related, but very emotionally taxing for me. And I, I took an opportunity to, to leave HR and go into higher education in an academic position where I thought I could get ahead of a lot of the sorts of problems and challenges that teams were facing by teaching young students how to be great teammates and great leaders and be more proactive rather than reactive in my career endeavors. So that's the reason for the switch to academia. Okay. It, it was such a lovely space for me. I had young kids at the time. I was trying to balance work and family. And I knew that Tatiana was as well. So at some point I said, hey, Tatiana, you you should do this too. Come on over from HR where we've been working together and, and do this academic teaching thing with me. So she did. And then we continued to have these clients then that had started to build in our HR capacity that would reach out to us. And that, that clientele grew through our connections with the executive education programming at the Kelly School of Business, which is a nationally ranked school in the U.S., and so we sat down one day and said, okay, we're both kind of individually doing our own consulting, but we've got a few projects that are big enough. It would really help to have two on board. And so very stereotypically, literally on the back of a napkin from a local chocolate shop, we wrote out what we thought were our goals as, as entrepreneurs. And that was to um, always make our families first and our academic positions the next most important thing with our clientele, our, our consulting business, always kind of ranking third on our priority list. And then um, another thing that we wrote on that napkin was that we would always be team centric that we didn't want to get competitive with other training consultants that we wanted to share our materials, knowing that sort of a karmic wisdom would happen and that what we put out in the world would come back to us. And we just wanted to keep ourselves very open to working with and collaborating with others. So that was another one of our must-haves. And the third one was that we would prioritize our friendship. We had been friends before colleagues, and we didn't want to become so obsessed with our business conversations and our work-related projects that we didn't remember, hey, we like to go shopping together. We like to go to the movies. We like to have coffee together too. And so that was sort of this commitment we made to the friendship, to our collaborative focus, and to how we prioritize the business. And quite then, interesting because yeah. um, I, I've just literally spoken this afternoon to the guest for another episode of the podcast called Richard Gurr. And Richard sure. actually came from being a principal in a school into working in the corporate sphere. But it sounds like you've done this the other way around. You went from right. being a HR <laughs> consultant into academia or into education full time. We flip-flopped Richard's path. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then the LinkedIn authoring has really got our, our, our thoughts and our opinions on the world, our communication advice. It just gave it such a widespread. And that came through a colleague at IU who said, hey, this group called, it was lynda.com at the time, uh, 15 years ago before LinkedIn bought lynda.com, a small training mm -hmm. video service. Hey, this group reached out to me and I don't really, he was an economist and he said, I, I don't think I have the kinds of topics they're looking for, but I think this would be right up your alley. And so uh, he connected us with them. And then that's how we really got a worldwide platform for our thought leadership. So let's focus on what you do then. So your business um, is Team Performance LLC mm -hmm. and you're based in Indiana. Right. Um, if you were to pitch what you do, 
to someone who needs what you do, what is it that you do and for whom do you do it? Sure. If your team or employees need communication training, they need communication coaching one-on-one, we do that. And our special sauce is that within our training, we're very experiential. So all the communication theory in the world won't do you a bit of good if you don't practice, practice, practice. In fact, a lot of the things that we talk about, emotional intelligence, some leadership skills, a lot of communication skills, Mark, they're easy to talk about, but they are so, so hard to do. So very experiential learning. Even when COVID hit and we transitioned everything online for a couple of years, we figured out ways and used our academic backgrounds as instructors to really figure out how can we capitalize on online learning to still make sure it's experiential for our learners. Okay. So what kinds of programs, let's say you work with uh, one of the companies I mentioned, um, let's say Carlisle or Procter & Gamble, what was your typical engagement and what does that look like? Right. Well, a lot of influential communication for the two that you mentioned, because they're leaders, well, all leaders, that is the essence of leadership is that you're getting things done through others, Mm -hmm. that you're getting people to do things they wouldn't otherwise do. And so tons of influential communication theory and training. We do one-on-one coaching as well to help individuals who maybe have high speaking anxiety, and they see that it's starting to limit their careers because they find themselves avoiding situations where they need to be out in front of groups because of their anxiety level. And so they're ready to get past that hurdle and and push through that so that their careers can really thrive. Or maybe it's an, an executive who doesn't experience anxiety, but who has just has been identified as a high potential exec who will be in front of more and more external groups or larger facing groups. And they just want to polish those executive presence skills, make sure that they're using the best organizational patterns and the most influential strategies when they're presenting. And so we would work with that person on one specific presentation or ongoing presentation skills. How did you land those clients? I mean, you went from being in HR to academia, how did you then land clients of that of that size and reputation? Yeah, a lot of the credit is for to a, our executive education program within IU. They would certainly mm. um, c- connect us to a lot of those. I, one of the Procter and Gamble is is a lot of fun, actually. I was doing a presentation at the university for incoming freshmen and their parents. So we have a couple of thousand of people in the auditorium and I'm presenting because my son went to the Kelly school. So I have this unique hat of I'm, I'm a professor here and I'm also a a parent here. And so parents really could connect with me because I could tell the story of being a mom, leaving your kid at the door and how, you know, but but here's what's going to happen when you leave your darling with us. This is what the classroom's going to look like. And this is what's going to happen to, to your child here at Kelly. So it was a compelling story. So I was presenting and the treasurer of PNG was there with her daughter, who was an incoming freshman at Kelly. And so she had this connection to me and and kind of had in the back of her mind, oh, for some communication training, I think she might work well with the finance officers of Procter & Gamble. Then in that very next semester, the daughter of the treasurer at P&G was in Tatiana's freshman level course and went home telling her mom, I've got this great professor. She's so amazing. And mom is thinking, oh, I wonder if that's that woman I heard at the auditorium. Well, it wasn't, but but we, of course, were working together. And so that's the serendipitous story of how we came to be um, <laughs> working with Procter & Gamble. I'm always intrigued how 
a, it's a personal touch. You could hammer the door down with traditional marketing. You can invest in all kinds of outreach, but it just takes someone's conversation and connection to get you in the door of big clients. It really is remarkable how that uh, that personal touch always plays a role. You are so right. We are embarrass- embarrassingly bad at marketing ourselves. We don't even have a website. And part of that was intentional. We we knew that our best leads were, as you just said, generated from our connections and from one-on-one conversations. Mm. And that if we, uh, and again, knowing that we were putting families and academic work ahead of our clientele base, we really didn't want it to grow too much to begin with. We wanted to kind of contain that growth in a way. And so we, so we wanted to be selective about our leads and selective about our clientele. And it seemed that that one-on-one, face-to-face interaction was a better way for us to screen leads. So you said you've no website, and that's still the case. That's correct. <laughs> okay. That's a first. <laughs> but but I suppose, we're as busy or yeah. busier than we want to be by, by nurturing those relationships. And you said growth. Uh, let me ask you about that. Have you plans to grow beyond yourself and Tatiana? Well, we have already, we work with, uh, we, we have great support in terms of the LinkedIn lives that we do. We have wonderful people that help us with the background of all of that and um, keeping our, our LinkedIn spaces alive and vibrant. Um, we have worked, we work with other training consultants when we have a, a, a position or a, a, a specific project or client that we think, oh, really, this is a better match for this consultant or that consultant. We will um, kind of share the, the wealth with them in terms of sharing those leads. Again, part of our collaborative approach. And, and um, so, yeah, so the business grows through some of that, but mainly just um, looking the, looking for opportunities to uh, share in a way that, you know, the, the, I think a lot of training consultants face this. Your product is you, and there's only mm. one you. That's right. And so to grow is, is incredibly hard unless you start finding mediums like books, LinkedIn courses, edX courses, places where you can get your message out there on repeat without you having to show up and be present because there's only one you and there's only 24 hours in a day. That's, that's that always that perennial question about, uh, you know, dollars for time. Right. Um, if we're not creating content, which is there and selling us when we're not there. Uh, we're losing out. Um, are there other lessons that you've learned on that course, that that journey from working in the corporate sphere or environment to now working both straddling, if you will, academia, but also having your own consulting practice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are there lessons you've you've learned, good and bad, over the years? I'd say, yeah, there are a couple. Um, one would be this idea that rather than seeing the the two or three or four hats that you're wearing as in turmoil with one another, see them as heightening one another. So okay. I am a better consultant because of the fact that I am in a classroom. Those classroom experiences, the pedagogical training that I get, that makes me a better training consultant. That makes me a better coach. Being in corporate as a consultant makes me a much better academic. I bring real life scenarios and examples into my classroom that someone without that corporate experience couldn't do. And so I think seeing it as as a maximizer rather than this strain between the two roles has really been helpful to me in the way I perceive of the multiple hats. 
So let's look at uh, your tips today. You've got three tips for us. Um, One is to go back to the basics. These are tips, by the way, for you listening. uh, If you're self-employed like myself and many of your fellow listeners, these are tips uh, which Brent is going to share with you. One is to go back to the basics. Uh, Two is to assume positive intent. And three, to neutralize emotion. They're, they're quite uh, mysterious. Uh, <laughs> so let's expound upon those. Go back to the basics. What does that mean? Well, I had in mind challenging communication situations when I sent these three tips to you. So, And, and what is a challenging communication situation is in the eyes of the beholder, right? So for right. me, it might be making a big ask. If I'm an entrepreneur and I need to make an ask of someone or I need to ask for a, a networking lead or a networking connection, that can be really hard for me. Mm. Maybe you are so comfortable making requests of others that that would never even rise to the occasion of challenging. But for you, maybe you hate it when someone's angry at you or you don't like to be in a conversation when there's conflict. So you have to define what you're challenging situation is. But then regardless of what it is, let's get back to the basics. And the basics are the secret to great communication. It's all about your audience. It's all about your audience. So even in a complex, challenging communication situation, if I remember, wait a minute, uh, this is Mark that I'm talking about. What does Mark know about this topic? What does Mark feel about this topic? What's in it for him? What are his triggers around this topic. If I just remember to be about you instead of about me, oh, just that just changes everything right there. So that's one of the- Focus on the person and not not your intention. Well, your intention is important, but what's in it for them? Um, Number two, assume positive intent Mm -hmm. and communicate that. Oh, yeah. So I, I think using that language, here's what I hope to accomplish in this conversation. Here's what I hope doesn't happen in this conversation is a great way to start a challenging conversation. But assuming positive intent, I think of this story. I walked into the parking garage or out of the parking garage, which was under construction. I'm running late for a meeting because of all the construction and it was hard to get where I needed to go. Four others were walking in late to this meeting as well, and we're commiserating. Oh my gosh, this construction is terrible. Can you believe they're doing the surface lot at the same time they're doing the parking garage? And couldn't they have done this in the summer when students weren't here? We're just... And all of a sudden, Tim, one of my colleagues said, yeah, you know, I I do, I'm frustrated by this too. So he's acknowledging our feelings. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't want to be the dean that had to make all these construction things happen on on a schedule. And that empathetic response of his, that his assuming positive intent, none of no one in the dean's office was out to make our lives miserable. This was just an unfortunate series of events. By assuming positive intent, assuming no will, ill will, it it, it just t- immediately took the sting out of the the angst was gone that we were feeling. Uh, we were still frustrated by the parking situation. It was still a pain, Mark, but it wasn't so irritating when we assumed positive intent. And number three is to neutralize emotion or the emotion yours and your conversation partner. Sure. In many challenging situations, the emotions run high, yours as well as others. 
And so to the extent that we can kind of put that emotion in check and then be able to tap into the logical side of our brains, we can carry on better. And so some of the tactics for doing that, when it's your own emotion that you feel rising, well, go back to tip number two, assume positive intent, because if we are thinking differently, we're going to project differently. Mm. Take counted breaths, you know, breathe in one, two, three, four, breathe out one, two, three, four, that shift in focus to your own breathing can bring your emotional level down and get you back tapped into the logical part of your brain, regulating your own facial expressions and body posture so that you're not just screaming your anger or your boredom. So we can do that by, you're always taught as a communicator, make eye contact, make eye contact, make eye contact. When you're feeling really inflated emotions, I would actually say break eye contact for a little bit. Look down, maybe write some notes. In your notes, just write the words that the other person is saying, not your interpretation of those words, which can escalate that feeling back up rather than than bringing it down. Um, Think about channeling the calmest person you know. You know, I I think about Queen Elizabeth or... um, uh, some tennis player, someone who yeah, doesn't that's throw right. their rackets around. That doesn't throw their rackets. They just stay calm, cool, yeah. and collected, no matter how crazy the match is. Exactly. Just channel that person. And then I think really thinking about that poker face, the, the, the mm. neutral face, which we can accomplish by uh, relaxing our eyebrows. Our eyebrows tend to furrow when we're angry or curious. Just mm. relax those a little bit. Shoot for a 20% smile. So not a great big a smile. 20% smile. A 20% smile. Yep. So it's kind of a neutral expression. And then make sure your tongue is dropped away from the roof of your mouth because as we get irritated, our tongues latch up and that tightens the jawline, which just creates this frustration, frustrated expression. I'm thinking of the time I'm sure when I've received a negative feedback from either a client or uh, someone in HR who's commissioned training over the years. And I think I'm gritting my teeth. I'm probably, yes. my, my tongue has been stuck at the top of my mouth. Uh-huh. I've done a 0% smile <laughs> and, and I have no positive intent because I'm thinking <laughs> this person's wrong. They're wrong. I know my material. They don't. It's wrong. But you've got to go back to the basics, which is to realize that it's all about preserving the relationship. Right. You can right. be right about what 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 they're saying. Perhaps your training stinks, but Unless you're, unless your relationship, unless you're focused on keeping that relationship, you can win that argument, but you'll lose the the commercial relationship. So you have to exactly. have a positive intent about the person's trying to help you. And I have to always yeah. struggle with that and just say, look, I may not like what I'm hearing as a consultant um, from someone, but it's feedback with the best of intentions. No one, well, very few people give feedback to to hurt or to wound or to insult. Yes. It's actually meant, even if it's delivered poorly, <laughs> it probably is meant right. well. Right. There's a great book called uh, Feedback is a, you know, that article, there's an uh, ATD article, HR, uh, Feedback is a Gift. And then, um, yeah, some great work on feedback being a gift that's hard. I mean, I think about how hard it is for me to sometimes give direct and honest feedback that when I do it, even if I do it poorly, I'm still providing you a gift, you know? And, and if you, if you're honest about it, it is so hard to give feedback that the people we find in our lives who are going to be just incredibly talented at doing it and they're just nuanced and they have that right balance of the positive and the constructive, those are rare individuals Very and, rare. and lovely when we encounter them, but we're going to have to learn if we want to continue to grow, we have to learn to take feedback even from those sources who aren't so talented at giving it. And if you're running your own business, you have to be open to feedback. 
Absolutely. You are, you are stagnant if you are not open to feedback yeah. in your own business. Absolutely. And then, to, so to that point with, if the other person is coming to you with some feedback and they're a little, they're a little irate with their feedback, they're a little heated about it. You can help calm them by staying curious, as you just said, yes. instead of um, being defensive and responding with all the reasons you were right, just get curious about where this feedback is coming from, what you could have done differently. I would caution when I say get curious. I think a lot of people then start leading with, well, why do you feel this? Why did you say that? Why don't you like that? And I would caution you to avoid why questions as they put people even more on the defensive. So instead of, well, well, why, Mark, weren't your people, why hadn't your people done the prep work? If they had done the pre-reading that I gave them, that exercise would have made sense that you told me wasn't making any sense. Or, you know, why didn't you follow through on the recommendation I gave you? Then this would not have unfolded the way it did if you're upset about some sort of uh, response to a consulting recommendation that I've given you. Why, why, why is back to the defensive and not truly the curious. Well, what, what did happen? Let's help me understand the timeline. Mm. You know, those kinds of questions are going to get you better feedback on the feedback than those defensive why questions. Yeah, they're, they're more participative than, or collaborative than, yeah. than, than defensive. If I ask you why too much, it makes it sound like you have to justify your Mm-hmm. Uh, feedback or something. Um, and lead with thank you. That's the first when you when you get feedback, the first thing out of your mouth, no matter how much you're seething or or frustrated or confused or upset by the feedback, thank you for that feedback. Thank you for that feedback. That's the first thing. Yeah, thank you for bringing this to my attention. Uh, but you're right; it, it is hard uh, receiving feedback. Um, it's hard not to become emotionally involved, right. and and to just and to think of this person as the bearer of good news. Uh, it does sound negative. Where can people find out more about you, Brenda? LinkedIn. Yeah. Fo- Brenda Bailey Hughes on LinkedIn. Follow yep. me there. Uh, follow and you'll get LinkedIn lives. In fact, uh, Tatiana, my colleague and I have a, that we talked about already in the, today, she and I are doing a, a an episode, a LinkedIn live episode in the next week, I think on um, challenging communication situations. So come learn more if this is Brilliant. To you. And that'll be on your feet, I'm sure. Sure. Okay. Brenda, thank you so much for being my guest today on the show. Mark, thank you for having me. Huge thanks to Brenda for being my guest today on the show. And thanks to you for your time in taking the trouble to listen and hopefully to subscribe. Please click on the follow button or the subscribe button right now to be notified of great episodes as they come out. This costs nothing, as I said and takes only a couple of seconds, but means a huge deal to me and the team, Sam, Joe, James, and Turul. If you have a question or suggestion, you're welcome to drop me a line. My email address is mark at trainingbusiness.com. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. I reply individually, reading all emails personally. And of course, you'll find all episodes past, present, and future on your podcast platform of choice, including over at www.trainingbusiness.com. There is a fresh episode next Thursday waiting for you. Until then, keep going. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. See you next time.